John chapter 5, and our focus this morning is verse 24. You know by now that Jesus makes people mad. And you know that Jesus makes people glad. Into which category do you fall? Are you mad at Jesus? Or are you glad for Jesus? In our series through the fifth chapter and sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, we have seen that Jesus makes a bunch of religious leaders very mad. Why? They are upset, and they are settled because Jesus, it says, made himself equal with God, and then he goes on to expose the soul-suffocating legalism of these religious leaders who are oppressing and harming the very people they claim to lead. And Jesus shows them that their view of the law of God is perverse and oppressive. And so we are told they want to kill him. And now in this next session, section of the text in John 5, uh, the gospel is presenting Jesus as if he's on trial. And we know that because now it says that he, in verse 19, we read, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. It's actually redundant. Jesus spoke and gave them this answer. And what follows are three of, well, this might be interesting to you, are three truly, truly statements. Did you ever hear that in the, in the King James? It's, verily, verily, I say unto you. And of these three statements, the middle one is, is the pinnacle of them. The first one leads up to it. Uh, the third one unpacks it. And so today we're going to look at the second one of these three truly, truly statements. But it does just so happen that the first one is perfect for Palm Sunday for next week. And the third one is perfect for Easter and the resurrection celebration. So I want to unpack the middle, truly, truly statement for you and then come back to it next week and the week after. And hear the defense that Jesus makes on trial before these religious leaders. And he says, hear the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. So far, the reading of God's Word. Whoever hears my word, Jesus says. Let's start there. Are you one of the people who hears the word of Christ? Jesus makes no bones about it. Hear my word. Listen to me. No, learn of me. What does it mean to hear his word? The, the Greek word akuo. It means, of course, to hear. That is to say, sound waves can go into the auditory canal. But is that what Jesus is talking about here? 
This word means more than just the vibration of the eardrum. It means that you understand what Jesus says and who He is. It, it means that you listen and comprehend, and then you say, Ah, oh, I get it. You see, it's possible to hear and not hear. Ask my wife. You know, I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And she says, Charlotte has a big test on Friday. And I say, "Mm mm-hmm. And then she says, I heard that the Melchers had a really nice time in California. And I say, "Mm mm-hmm. And then she says, there's a yak in the basement. And I say, "Mm mm-hmm. What? (laughs) What? You see, it's possible to hear but not hear. You can go to Sunday school for years. You can listen to sermons for years and say, "Mm mm-hmm, and not hear. And even worse, you can be absent from the preaching of teaching of the Word of God and live your life at the country club and live your life watching television and never even be exposed to the Word of Christ. Jesus says, whoever hears my Word. And the Bible teaches that Christians are people who have ears to hear. Have you ever heard that phrase? If you are truly a Christian, it means God has given you ears to hear. And every time we see one of those great miracles of Jesus where he, he, he heals the blind and gives them sight, it's a picture of spiritual sight. And whenever Jesus gives the deaf the ability to hear, what is that a picture of? It's precisely this, that God comes and he unstops our spiritual ears that are plugged up and not, not willing to hear the word of Christ. And he makes our minds and our hearts like fertile soil that suddenly receive the planted word of God. We hear his word. Are you someone who has heard the word of Christ? Where do you hear the word of Christ? Well, I hope you hear it every Lord's Day here from this pulpit. What we want to do is preach Christ, don't we? Can you ever hear too much about Jesus Christ? Can you ever hear the preacher too often declare his praises, proclaim his work? Every Lord's Day we come apart. But where do you hear the word of Christ? In your Sunday school, where we take serious attention to the word of God. Where do your children hear the word of Christ? In the youth group, in the Sunday school. And we hope, we pray, in your own family devotions. The old timers, you know, they talk about the family altar where dad or mom shares a verse from the Bible and, and, and just they discuss it and lay it up in their hearts. You hear the word of Christ in your home fellowship group, in the women's Bible study, in the men's Bible study. You hear the word of Christ. In the songs that we sing to each other, we hear the word of Christ. And as you hear... The Bible makes an interesting observation. The Bible says, as you hear, your faith grows. 
And that leads to the second point of the sermon. Because Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes. And, and the connection is made in Romans 10.17. As you move from point one to point two, in Romans 10.17, we have this marvelous statement of the Apostle Paul to the person who says, I don't have faith. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Did you know that? Is that a new verse for you? And so I want to say to anybody who's watching on the live streaming or listening online or anybody seated in this room, if your faith is, is dying, is waning, the first thing for you to do is to get the word of Christ and the promises of Jesus into your ears and into your heart, into your mind. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Point number two Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What's this all about? And the reason that that we say this is a little unusual is because most of the time when Jesus calls people to believe, who does he call them to believe in? Himself. He says, believe in me. Believe in me. But, But this is just a little different. He says, Do you believe Him who sent me? So fasten your seatbelts for next Sunday, Palm Sunday. Fasten your seatbelts to see how Jesus Christ is so aligned with, so in tune with the Heavenly Father and so endowed with the authority of the Heavenly Father as He answers the religious leaders who are astounded at what they call His blasphemy, that He makes Himself equal with God, that Jesus dares to declare that the Father, God, has sent him into the world, and he is God the Son. He is truly equal with God. And if you say, here's what he's getting at, if you say, well, I believe in God, I just don't buy all that Jesus stuff. You know people who say that? I know lots of people who are happy to say they believe in God, but frankly, it's God with a little g. It's sort of like the force in Star Wars. And that's not the God of the Bible. That is not the God who sent Jesus into the world. And that's the, this is the point that he's making here. If you say, I believe in God, but I just don't buy all that Jesus stuff, then you do not really believe in the living and true God who sent Jesus into the world. Does that make you mad? Does that make people you know mad? Who do you think you are telling me that Jesus is the only way to God? You Christians think you have God in your pocket with all your Jesus stuff. But here, this is not coming from John Yenchko. This is coming from Jesus himself. And so Jesus calls us to, to put our shoes right here, in the, our, our feet in the shoes of the religious leaders. Because every Israelite, especially every leader, should believe that the Messiah was to come into the world, right? The Old Testament was clear. The servant of the Lord was coming. He would be a suffering servant. He would be a prophet greater than Moses, Deuteronomy tells us, right? The prophet is to come. He's to be a king greater than David. The king is to come. 
He's going to be like the high priest and he will be the sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world and they miss it. Listen, Jesus is saying, if you believe that God the Father will send the Messiah into the world, then you will believe in me and you will be believing him who sent me. Do you believe? I hope you believe. I pray that you find your resting place in Jesus Christ. Focus on this word believe. I use resting place. It's a a good way to understand this word believe. It says in Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. What does it mean? to believe. Well, it's a great word. There's a passive side to believing. We read about that earlier on in the service, right? When we read from John 3, 14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What's that all about? Anybody know where a serpent was raised up, a bronze serpent was raised up in the wilderness? It's a horrible story in the book of Numbers where Israel one more time is filled with rebellion and God sends snakes. Snakes. I hate snakes, said Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones. He hates snakes. I hate snakes. I don't like vipers. God showed them their sin was serious, but the the bronze serpent was raised up and it says, anyone who did what? Bought it? Paid for it? No. If anyone looked at the serpent, he would be healed. So look. Look, Moses says. Look and be saved. And now Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses raised up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever looks to the Son of Man will be saved. Where was Jesus lifted up? On the cross. And how are you saved? By looking. Look. Look to Christ. There's something passive in it. We we look and we behold Him. And that is how we are saved. Union with Christ through faith. But if I teach you, as I should, that faith has a passive element to it, at the same time, faith is not merely agreeing with the facts. That would be a soul-destroying mistake if I told you all you have to agree, do is agree that Jesus died on the cross. You know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. It's a fact that I believe in. It's not what we're asking. You can't just assent. The old theologians called it a census. A census was assenting to the fact. But what we are called to do is faith. The old word is fiducia. Faith, and faith is trust. And so when I look, I trust Him. And and what's the difference? I've told you this before, but, you know, I take this chair, and I look at this chair, and I say, this is a great chair. This is a fine chair. This chair has sturdy, four sturdy legs and laminated legs, and, and it's got a comfortable cushion. Why? This is a wonderful chair. I believe this chair can hold me. Oh, yes, what a fine chair. 
I know this chair. I believe this chair can hold me. It's very well constructed. It's a good chair. And I believe, really, I believe. (sighs) And my quadriceps begin to burn. And I tell you, a lot of Christians think they're exercising faith in Jesus, but here's what they're really like. A lot of people. I believe in Jesus, but my security's in my 401B, my 401K, my IRA. I believe in Jesus, but what I really need is a husband who loves me. That will be my Savior. I believe in Jesus, but what I really need is a better job. This this chair, it can hold me. I believe. Do I believe? Am I believing? When do I believe? Oh, now I believe that chair can hold me. See, And so there's an active side to faith. Faith is laying hold of Christ. It's trusting Christ and engaging Him as you walk through life. It's looking. It's passive. You don't earn anything. You don't do anything. But it is also actively engaged. And, and just, to, I was away a few weeks ago, you know, visiting my granddaughter out in Iowa. And one of the happiest moments is as Nina and I are walking along, Evelyn runs up between us and she grabs my hand and she grabs Nina's hand and she wants to walk along holding our hands. Is there anything better in the world? And she's so happy and she's so confident as we hold her hands. You see, friends, that's believing in the Father who sent the Son and believing in Jesus. Faith. Whoever hears my word believes him who sent me. And then point number three, has eternal life. And do you see how this amazing sentence unfolds? There are benefits to faith in Jesus. There are benefits to knowing Jesus. Do you know what the benefits are? Well, the first thing he mentions is eternal life. And I love this. The Gospel of John largely is written so that you would have eternal life. What is eternal life? What is it? The very beginning of the Gospel of John, John 1, verse 4, it says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. He can barely get started in the book before he explains to us that real life is found in union with, in relationship with Jesus Christ. And down in chapter 17, when Jesus is praying, do you remember that high priestly prayer? He's praying, and in the third verse of his prayer, he actually defines eternal life for us. Does anybody know the verse? John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, it's the juxtaposition there. He sent Jesus Christ. The only true God sent Jesus Christ. If you know them, you have eternal life. Now, now pay close attention to this, or you'll make the mistake that I make. I used to think that eternal life was something that was measured in terms of duration of time. Didn't always like singing that fourth verse of Amazing Grace. You know, 
when we've been there 10,000 years? 10,000 years? And we're just starting? Hmm. That seems kind of long. Oh, my friends, 10,000 years will seem like an instant, of course, when we are in heaven. But the point that Jesus makes here is that eternal life is not measured in terms of duration of time. He says eternal life. This is eternal life. Knowledge of God. Intimacy with God the Father and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. This is the gift that comes from the faith that has heard the word of Christ. And He says you have already begun your eternal life. If you're a baby Christian, a brand new Christian, you have begun eternal life. If you've been walking with the Lord for decades, our brother who sang earlier today, walking with the Lord for decades, you have already begun eternal life. Because life is the quality of knowing God and Jesus who sent, whom He sent. Chapter 3, this character Nicodemus, Jesus says you must be born again. You know, uh, my favorite Food Network star, I'm a junkie, is Alton Brown. Love Alton Brown. He's a scientist and a chef. He's got a great sense of humor. Very clever fellow. He was interviewed in a major magazine. I can't remember which one, but I remember reading it. And he was, the subject of his faith came up. And Alton Brown was asked by the interviewer, are you one of those born-again Christians? And Alton Brown said, Well, yes, because there's no other kind of Christian. That's a very profound moment in secular media. Because there is no other kind of Christian. Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be one who's experienced rebirth. How? Through hearing the word of Christ and believing in Christ, the life that God has planted in you brings you into a relationship with Him and you get new life. And so it is very fair for me to ask everyone in this room, are you one of those born-again Christians? And can you answer with Alton Brown? Well, yes, because there are no other kind of Christians, and I'm one of them. If you have faith in Jesus, you're alive. You have entered into eternal life already. And when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman in John 4, he says to her, whoever believes in me from her, his inmost being will spring up rivers of living water. Living water, life. And the very end of the book, the Gospel of John, we've just done the whole Gospel of John. At the very end, he says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, there's the faith, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, what's the next word? Life in his name. I have to confess I have not seen a single episode of any 
zombie TV show. But our culture is fascinated with zombies, isn't it? You know, video games about zombies, television series about zombies, movies about zombies. What's a zombie? Well, purportedly in certain cultures, the zombies are those corpses, dead corpses that are revived by witchcraft and that uh, then walk. They're walking dead, right? And it is a lot of Hollywood nonsense. But I'll tell you what, come with me to Benin. Come with me to the mission field that this church has adopted among the Aizo and Mina people. And John Morkin and I and Tay Cho and I and Betty Gagnon and, and Christy Mosbach and those who've gone to, to Benin, there among the Aiza, we've seen zombies. Wicked. Yeah, they're fakes. But they're there to scare the living daylights out of the voodoo people. A concept is a powerful picture of human life, human nature, apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what's the human condition apart from Jesus Christ? Limping? Not limping. Sad? Not just sad. Dead. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ, for it is by grace you have been saved. That is what Jesus came to do, to make us alive, and it's glorious, for it is by grace you have been saved. Christian, you are no longer walking dead. You are no longer trudging around in, in, in your trespasses and sins, dead and guilty. You're alive in Jesus. Why? Why? Because we have life because He died. He tasted death for us. And this last phrase is astounding. The very end of our text. He does, whoever this is who has eternal life, get this, listen carefully. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And really, points three and four fit right together. He has passed from death to life. But did you hear this phrase? He does not come into judgment. Why? How can he promise this? Do you know the answer? Why is it that the Christian does not come into judgment? I'm going to teach you a word. Don't let the screensaver go up. How is it possible that the Christian who is a sinner does not stand in judgment before the holy God on the great and terrible day of the Lord? The answer is because of the double imputation in the gospel. Double imputation. You've maybe never heard this term, although I've said it a few times. It might have just not really heard it, you know. Double imputation. How do you avoid the judgment? My sins are imputed to Jesus Christ. And Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. 
That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Double imputation. The Bible tells us in the substitutionary death of Jesus, Romans 5, 8 and 9, listen to this, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, see justification, we've been justified by his blood. My sins fell on Christ. His blood made atonement for my sins. That's the first part of the imputation. We sing about that all the time. My sins are forgiven. But then, secondly, and this is what many of you are yet to discover, His righteousness is imputed to my account, to your account. That's the second part of the imputation. Philippians 3, verse 9, underline this in your Bible, that we be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not on works, not on my performance, but on the faith that believes and receives the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, the Evangelism Explosion program uh, came onto the scene about 30 years ago. And Evangelism Explosion has led thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Christ by teaching people to use what are called diagnostic questions. And you ask a person at, the, at lunch, you, in the park, you say, you know, if you were to die tonight... And God were to say to you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? And then you listen to their response. And I've asked this question to hundreds and hundreds of people. And half the people give me the pagan answer. The pagan answer is, I try my best to be a good person. I try my best. Some say, I go to church. I put my nickel in the offering plate. I, I, I help little old ladies across the street. All right? That's the pagan answer. You know that's the wrong answer. For there's no one righteous, no, not one, when it comes to standing before the holy God. Don't kid yourself. But the other 50%, many of them, I hope, at least in my world, I've, other number of people, they say the right answer. They say, I'm going because Jesus died for my sins. And I, that's great. That's good. That's good. But that's not the whole gospel. And it is very rare that when I say to a person, if you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? that they would say, Jesus died for my sins, and I stand clean and pure before a holy God because the righteousness and perfect obedience of His Son is now credited to my account. And I don't often hear that. But that's the full answer of the gospel and why you do not pass into judgment because Christ has been judged in your place and his righteousness is credited to your account if you're a Christian. Isn't that great news? Does that make you glad? 
R.C. Sproul says, let's say you wrote 10 checks and they all bounced. You wrote 10 checks, they all bounced, and you go to the bank and you sit down with the bank manager. He says, you've got all this debt that you need to still pay. And, uh, and then there's those bank fees. How much does it cost if you bounce a check these days? How, how do you know? <laughs> so, Sue, just kidding. It's a lot. Bank fees. And then the manager says to you, I just want you to know that the trustees of the bank have agreed that they are going to forgive all your debt and we're going to cover all those bad checks that you wrote. How do you feel? <laughs> you feel great. That's grace. Whew. And they're going to forgive the bank fees. That's wonderful. But is that the gospel? It's not the gospel. Why? Because as soon as you walk out of the bank, you still got to put gas in your car, and so now you have to work to make money in order to, to put gas in your car. You've got to work. You've got to work. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you don't have to work to be saved. And so the bank manager grabs you as you go out the door. He says, wait a minute. I want you to know that the board of directors here at the bank have also assigned your name to the ledger that allows all the resources of our bank at your disposal. And all our money is yours. That's the gospel. That's the double imputation. My debt he paid. His righteousness given to me. And so I pass through the judgment Oh, sure. This church is filled with Christians who do good works, and on the judgment day, God is going to celebrate the very good works He appointed you to do, and, and He's going to, he, it's, heaven is going to cheer. But make no mistake, you don't get into heaven because of the good works you do. Don't even try. It is of the most wicked and corrupt heart that would try and commend themselves to God. But I tell you, I forget. I forget. I forget. I wake up in the morning and I believe in the double imputation that I'm accepted completely in Jesus and then the day gets going. And I get busy and I get full of myself during the day. And I'm ashamed, ashamed to tell you, but I decided in my heart I would tell you that there are some evenings when I sit with my calendar on my iPhone and I go back over the day I just fill in on the calendar. I called so-and-so. I did this project. I did this counseling. I worked on this, this lesson. I wrote this part of that sermon. Uh, boy, boy, I was productive. Well, that was pretty good. God must be really pleased with what I do. Because you see, I am a productivity junkie who wants to validate his life on his very performance. Because I'm a good American. And if that's the way you live before God, validating yourself so that he will accept you, you do not understand the gospel. Oh, friends, double imputation. Jesus is the answer. A friend of mine, Ray Cortese, I'll finish with this. He has 
he runs camps, Christian camps, for young uh, teenagers. And they lead hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. One morning, a young teenage girl came up to him and said, Pastor Ray, Pastor Ray, I finally get the gospel. He says, tell me. She said, I used to wake up every morning asking, how can I please myself? And now I've learned from you that I need to wake up every morning in order to please God. He said, oh, what have I been teaching? He said, no, you don't have the gospel. You don't have the gospel. Yeah, when you wake up every morning to please yourself, it's a dead end. we'll, We'll all learn that the hard way. But when you wake up in the morning, you don't wake up to please God. You wake up knowing, believing that He is pleased with you because of the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, on your behalf. And then you live your day living for Him and loving for Him and enjoying Him and His blessing flows out through you. Do you understand? Is that clear? You don't, you, you, you don't go to judgment because Christ has been judged in your place and His righteousness has been given to your account. So, I'm going to invite you now to, in, in just a moment to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask some of you to pray that you would have ears to hear. Because this has not been an easy message for you. I'm going to invite you to pray. Just simply say, Lord Jesus, take my skeptical, unbelieving heart, my unhearing heart. There's a yak in the basement. You know, I haven't been listening. Give me ears to hear. I'm going to invite others of you to pray that the Lord would give you the gift of faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, faith is a gift. Your faith is low, like a flickering candle. Okay, let's ask him for faith for you. There may be some here who have been wanting to face the judgment day on their own without the double imputation. And today would be a great day for you to be on the other side of the line from those who would stand on their own and would find themselves alive in Christ. So let's bow our heads together and let us hear the word of Christ and make today the great day. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be mad at you. We have have too many good examples both in the Scripture and in the world, of people who, are, who, who place themselves over you, judging you, rejecting you, denouncing you, ignoring you. We don't want to be that kind of person. We want to be the one who hears and believes and is alive and is glad. If you're someone who just says, I really haven't had ears to hear, would you pray for that? And the rest of us are going to pray for you right now. Maybe you've already got ears to hear, but would you pray for people in this room or watching online who right now are asking for ears to hear?
Maybe you know someone you've been praying for. Would you pray for them right now? Give them ears to hear, Lord. Maybe your faith is low. It's just hard. You're facing difficult circumstances or your secular friends have been pounding on you. If you're here and you have faith, would you pray for people who are struggling with faith right now? Someone you know. Perhaps you know someone who is not in Christ who is planning to face the judgment day on their own. If that's you, but you've decided today, you're, you're, it's clear to you today, you don't want to be in that position. You want the imputation of your sins to Christ and the imputation of His righteousness to you, that this would be your day to say, I'm with Him. I'm glad We will pray for you. Would you pray for someone who's saying that right now or someone you know who needs the righteousness of Jesus? We thank you, our Father, that you are not mad at us because of Jesus. You are glad when you think of us. And so we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.